Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for the first edition of the suitcase and the scribe 2022 mike mckenna looking well lit is always always he always looked better lit than me i'm gonna have to get this figured out here but i feel i i got the light on and everything but you always look great my friend and i appreciate happy that. new year to you and your family so yeah to you as well you know you know it's just obviously podcast format but some people will be able to see the video but i do have in my closet that i record natural lighting i have and I don't know why a window with blinds in the closet and I can adjust the natural lighting nice. on the fly uh, to give myself some nice forward facing light. So yeah. that's how, you know, presentations, everything, Scott. I, uh, well, I got a light, I got a light on here too, but it, well, I you, just you, feel, you look beautiful. You just, you look beautiful. Did you have I feel a like mood? I have that mood lighting now as yeah. opposed to the, you know, so anyway, well, so how was your, uh, we spoke of course, between Christmas and new year and you were getting ready for new year. We were, getting ready for the winter classic. How was, how was new year? Do you celebrate a big, do you have a big new year thing for the McKenna family? And of course with the blues playing in Minnesota for the winter classic, was there some excitement in the household? Like did, was that a big deal for you guys? You know, Scott, I, I can't stand new year's. I've never liked it. I, I think it relates back to uh, being the unwanted kid in high school that couldn't end up with the, date at midnight you know what i mean and i think it just yeah. dude it just for years and years was a holiday i couldn't stand yeah. i didn't think i thought new year's resolutions were hollow i i thought that we were just fooling ourselves by saying i'm gonna go work out every day no one ever follows through on anything <laughs> and i don't know i came to not like it well the winter classic did breathe some life into my outlook on new year's and especially my family's you know it's something that we congregate around the tv and we watch yeah and this year had a little bit more to it because the blues were in the winter classic against Minnesota. My kids do like the blues. I mean, they, they like a lot of teams though, Scott. Yeah. They like a lot of teams that I played for. Uh, <laughs> they, they kind of like, they're kind of evenly split between Dallas, Philly and the blues and Dallas and Philly, because those were two of my later teams that sure. they enjoyed. And then, you know, St. Louis being the hometown team. So yeah, we, uh, we sat around, we watched the winter classic. I had three, monitors set up because we had the winter classic on one. Yeah. We had WWE day one pay-per-view on another. <laughs> and then I had the St. Lawrence skating saints on my iPad on my third. <laughs> so there was a lot going on, Scott. And oh, I, 
I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious for you though. One, what the Winter Classic was for you this year, what it meant, and and what you may have enjoyed about it. And two, I also want to just quickly ask, what did you think about there being eight other games scheduled on the same day? Yeah, no, I'll and I'll answer that one first. I, I get it, and I was I was frankly a bit surprised, and I I wish it was I, a Saturday. I, yeah, you know, I know it's a ratings monster, but still, I don't know. Yeah. I I wish I knew more about the you know about the intricacies of the the respective TV deals. Of course, the Winter Classic on TNT. Uh, I love the idea that it was at night, and having covered, I covered the from 08, the first one in Buffalo to 15 let's say that's right and i think that and that was um, maybe the one of the best games uh of the winter classic games and i covered some other outdoor games as well uh including one at dodger stadium that i think stands as my favorite but i digress but um my memory serves that the winter classic was always a standalone product when it was on nbc that it was you know the deal was no other games infringed on that property when I always, I, I, and I thought that was smart, right? Like why? And it was a full day, you know? Well, exactly. And mostly, and for the most part, so anyway, I started, I was, I was digressing because I like the idea that the winter classic this year was on at night. I think it looks great. And I, and I think just having covered the games, when you try and have them in the afternoon, you court disaster all the time because one of the great um, inhibitors to get, getting the game off is, is direct sunlight. Like it's mm-hmm. people think it's too warm. As I mentioned, I covered a outdoor game between the ducks and the Kings at uh, Dodger stadium, again, an evening game. Uh, and it was like 50. It was outstanding kiss played. There's a picture somewhere <laughs> of Gene Simmons with Gary Bettman in the headlock. It's off the charts, but it's not the temperature. It's a, the sun, to a lesser degree, the wind um, and the rain, obviously, if it rains. But it, the sun is key. So I liked it that it was Saturday night. Um, I was surprised that there were other games sort of cluttering things up. And maybe TNT doesn't care. I don't know. But I thought it was weird. Um, but I felt a bit nostalgic um, that I, you know, I haven't, it's been a while since I covered one. Yeah, And the cold there was mm-hmm. uh, like... Man, and, but that's part of it, right? Like it's, it's what it should that's be. Why. It's a celebration of winter and yes. the great northern game. And yes. but but what's funny, Scott, is I loved the Dallas game so much. Yeah, for the uniqueness of it and the horses and all of that. Yeah, I think races weren't there pigs there. Yes, absolutely, there were. There, it was like a county fair or a state fair. But I think that that's important to have variety. Yeah, I really do. And that's why like the Dallas game uh, and some of the other outdoor games that have been played, California, you name it. But I think the root of it, the core of it, Scott, is what we saw on New Year's Day. Is it not the cold, the the snow, the pond hockey feel like it was a perfect setting. And and Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. The NHL needed this, didn't it? Yeah, totally. And I I'm with you entirely. And I know it's you know, it's taken a long time for the state of hockey to host the winter classic. Now they had a stadium series game, which I think you and I talked about. I covered it, um, Minnesota and uh, Chicago back in uh, 2016. And it was okay. It wasn't great. Minnesota sucked. They just fired Mike Yo. It, was, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great event, frankly. This, you're right. I think they, I think the, everyone, the hockey fans, I felt I needed it, mm-hmm. you know, to have fun. 
I felt so, you know, I feel sort of bad for the wild that, you know, like, hello, there's a game here. might want to oh, show up before the third period when they give up five in the second. And, Whoa. but I, and you know what I loved about the blues? I loved how they embraced it. I loved the idea they showed up in their beach wear. And I was like, yes, I, you know, totally have no some one fun expected with it. that. Nobody. No, it was great. Yeah. And, and like that blues team, they're starting to cook. They're, uh, they're healthier now than they've been probably all year. Um, there's, you know, there's, then there's a nice swagger about that team that does put me in mind of after Craig Berube took over for Mike Yo. Um, you know, and I know back in 19 at this time, they were still, still technically probably in last place. But if they started to, they really started to hum, obviously, and en route mm-hmm. to their first ever cup. I that in this blues team right now. Do you, do you buy any of that? Yeah, I completely do. I mean, the, the fun factor is the first thing I notice. Yeah. You know, Bennington shows up in a $1,400 Versace shirt. One of the dudes has a pineapple and a cooler and it's minus six, man. Like they went all in because if you go and you lose this game, every Twitter warrior out there is going to be saying they were too worried about what they were wearing to the game. They should have been focused on the game. And no, man, they were loose. They had fun. And like yeah. Minnesota showed up in varsity jackets. Boring. Like I, I get it. It's the state of hockey. Okay. It, it, it fit. Yeah. But it really like fit the conservative culture of that club in some ways that they've had for so long, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, man, you really could embrace this somehow. And the blues got it. And they look like the team that was loosest to start the game. Yeah. And this has been a problem for Minnesota. They have been starting slow for the last, I don't know. Well, we went on pause for how long, but they've been, they've been slow to start games lately. And that's been crushing them because they're, they're a good team with good players that can hang in games. They can come from behind. I mean, they made it a game, you know, Capri, you get Caprizov going, anything could happen. He was on the big stage here. This was a coming out party for him, but St. Louis does have that swag. And this is, I believe today, to be the anniversary of Jordan Bennington's first start with the blues. And this yeah. is the 4th of January. So if it's not today, the fourth, it may be tomorrow on the fifth, one of right. the two, because I was on the bench for the uh, Philadelphia flyers uh, with a backup towel in Philadelphia. And I got to watch that game before they went on the big run. Nice. And okay. I didn't so know that footnote in history, you know? Um, and I remember thinking, man, good game by that kid. He had a shutout in Philadelphia. It was like 24, 26 shots. And then they go on and win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And, but they had that swagger to them, you know? And I think that their identity has been beat up a little bit. You lose Petro, Steen retires. People forget yeah. how important he was in that team. Other players have been in and out. But St. Louis now has recaptured some of the like J-Bowmeister. J-Bowmeister, yeah. Yes. And, you know, they've, they've done a great job. And I think Doug Armstrong deserves a lot of credit for this. Yeah. Of trusting his young players to grow into their roles and believe in them and not go shopping at every moment you had to. Like, I think he did on the back end, which was smart. You bring in Falk and Krug. Those were preemptive Falk, particularly with preemptive measure in case Petro leaves. Like you had to. Yeah. And they look smart now with that. Yeah. Because St. Louis, I do worry about the fact that they're still playing rope-a-dope a bit. They get out to start games and then they just let Bennington take over at the end. I'm not sure how long you can run that, but he is a good closer. Yeah. So um, St. Louis is good, Scott. And Jordan Cairo. Wow. Four points. Best player in the game. 
He does everything at speed. Yeah. He, his head is up. He can finish. He's on the edge of being a star in this league. I think he already is. And no, everybody doesn't know it yet. Yeah. Because Tarasenko is playing some of the best hockey, of his career. And Kairou is the guy who stands out the most of the blues right now. Yeah. It, I, I'm really impressed with that team. I, we've talked about it a little bit, but I, that was a team that I had a lot of questions about mm-hmm. going into the season. I, and frankly, I wondered if Craig Berube would, would be here in January. Cause I, I just, you know, Doug Armstrong understands the, you know, the, I hate, to, you know, the cliche of the window, but this is a team that, you know, hasn't looked like 19 since yeah. 19 really. And I, but you know, and again, you know, you, there's a certain amount of patience and, and this is going to be a great segue. Cause we're, we're going to talk about a team that, man is right in the crosshairs right now in terms of patience and what do you do? But I, I, I agree with, uh, with you on Doug Armstrong. He, you know what he, he's, cre- he's got us. Um, he's created an organization that has lots of moving parts. He's got lots of tools for Craig Berube to work with, you know, Robbie Thomas is another guy that oh, I remember fantastic. doing a story on him early in the, uh, well, I guess it wasn't that early. I guess it was the Western conference final at the start uh, against San Jose and, you know, a guy who uh, Doug Armstrong told me the story about how he could have gone back and played for Canada at the world juniors and, and told Doug, I, I don't want to go. And the team, of course, the blues were playing at that point, they were terrible. Yeah. And Doug thought it might be good for him to go back and play, you know, have some success and be a leader on that world junior team. And, and Robbie Thomas said, I'm not, I don't want that. I'm, I want to help this team turn it around. And, you know, it's been a little bit up and down for him. He's had some injuries, uh, but I think, again, he's another young player that has all kinds of tools. And we're seeing that a lot this season. Cairo is a great example. Yeah. Pavel Buchnevich, a great ad a trade. You know, it's just, it's, that's a Smart team. At, like, so let me ask you before we move on, we'll, we'll talk about the Edmonton Oilers, but when you look at the central, now, as we head into, you know, we're getting closer and closer, even with the COVID pauses and the postponements, you know, teams are, you know, we're getting closer to midpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, do you, do you lock the Blues into a playoff spot? Can you lock Minnesota into a playoff spot? You've got Colorado. I don't know. What do you make of the Central? It's pretty fluid. Uh, but I think like the teams at the pointy end are going to stay there. Uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, I picked Winnipeg to win the cup and, I, and I'm just, yeah. I'm not sure when, where Winnipeg is yeah. running gun high scores, like not quite what I'm used to seeing from them. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they sped up their defense and made them more mobile. Well, now pucks are going the other direction. So <laughs> I, I really think I'd be shocked if it didn't end up being Colorado, St. Louis, Minnesota as yeah. top. I, I've been very pleasantly surprised by Nashville. I think everybody has, and they've been red hot. Yeah, but I think that they're due for a market correction, as they say in economic yeah. terms. Okay. I just, I, I have to be proven that Nashville can continue this, and yeah. I know I rag on them a lot, but like they've got to have their top players continue to play so well. And I think that they're going to have to give David Riddick some more minutes down the stretch here than just Soros all the time. You can't just run Soros into the ground. Um, but St. Louis, yes, if they play the way they are with their start, like their top players now, they have through the lineup they're producing like this seems pretty deep and they have been missing players for a lot of this year. I mean, Perron's back now with O'Reilly. That's dynamic. Uh, I just St. Louis will be there and they're a cup contender. Minnesota the last month has made me question them, but I still think that they're there. I think that they'll be fine. Um, 
but Talbot out hurts. He's out indefinitely. Yeah. Kakinen has been okay. There's parts never of his plays, games. though. The kid never gets a shot. Exactly. So and that is, makes me yeah. that makes me nervous there. Yeah. Um, and Colorado, I mean, they got 35 games in hand because of COVID right now. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, they're leading in points percentage. They're they're still the horse since the central, but I think St. Louis will be right there. I think Minnesota and Nashville will probably be battling it out for that last spot if you're not looking at the wild card yeah as you know any any team i write about i instantly become as my pierre lebrun always called i get the stockholm syndrome so i'm i'm all i wrote about the the predators last week yes so they're they're right there uh i am really i'm like you i'm really curious about winnipeg and here's it's great segue it's great working with a pro that provides these segues you know minnesota (laughs) as we speak today and we're talking about the, the wild card spot jets are three points back of the edmonton oilers with two games in hand the la kings we've t- now i have it up here so i'm just going to tell you i'm not even going to guess uh colorado currently in the first wild card spot but as you point out they have 20 games in hand and I, they're going to lock into one of those top three spots edmonton technically in the second wild card spot la one point back and as i mentioned winnipeg three points back with two games in hand. And I honestly, maybe, I don't know if you feel the same way, but when, and we had this earlier with Vancouver, you're watching a team, you know, with this, you know, certainly Edmonton, you know, high, high expectations, certainly after the first 20 games, it's like, it truly is like watching a train wreck. Mm, slow motion. Yeah. It's uh you can't turn away and now team their last 12 coming off a 4-1 loss in New York to the, uh, the Rangers. Um, they've got uh, a game Wednesday, I think in Toronto and like the Oiler nation is, they are up in arms. And I wonder like, when you were watching, because now I watch with the idea of what is going to, what will happen. Does something have to happen or does Kenny Holland, the GM, can you just ride this out and assume at some point there you to use your term market correction? This is a better team than two, eight and two, aren't they? Or maybe they're not. I don't know. What do you make of all this? Their top line is their top two lines might be. Yeah. There's a black hole at the third or fourth line. I mean, Derek Ryan has like two points. Cal Turris has like one point, one and a half points. Like, and I'm not like, bottom lines it's the same problems that everybody saw at the start of the year and i mean duncan keek at heath at is he 38 years old and cody cc those are your stopgap defenders to come in and and they're not the elite defenders in the league but the team to me more than personnel just doesn't play hard enough like yeah. i mean i heard dry's idol say after the game in long island that they lost in overtime i well, thought we played pretty well happy to get the point and move on you guys have sucked for the last month. If you're happy to get a point against the Islanders and move on, I, I just, man, I'm starting to think, Scott, they just don't get it. Yeah. I, because you can't, you can you look at the video, man. Look at the other teams. Look how hard teams are pressuring McDavid and Drysdale. how tight their gaps are. I mean, teams have figured out how to beat them. You protect the middle of the ice. You keep those guys to the outside. You don't even have to – you just match up against your top lines. You don't even have to worry about their bottom lines for Edmonton. It's true. 
And, and if you play tight on McDavid, if you keep him, you know, from wheeling through the neutral zone and exposing the middle of your ice and stay out of the penalty box, yeah. teams are doing a better job of, yep. you're in shape, in good shape. And they haven't adapted. Like they don't play hard enough on the defensive side of puck to get it back for five on five hockey. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Oilers should be a dynamic five on five team and they're not right now. No. And with the best, two of the best players in the world, the most skilled player in the world, hands down. Yeah. And Scott, you just, I can't help but look at this team and think first, they don't believe in their goalies at all right no. now. Yeah. And it was a tough game for Miko Koskinen against the Rangers. I mean, he comes out, he fires one over the glass in the first three minutes, penalty kill right off the bat, and then he gives one away. Yeah. And it's like, man, like, I feel bad for the guy, but in the same respect, I'm like, dude, you just can't make two mistakes like that in a row to start a game like that. Yeah. Like, your, your team was done right there because of the confidence factor. So they don't believe on the back end. Smith, who knows if Mike Smith's ever going to be healthy again? Let's just be honest with that. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, Skinner's been their best goalie, but he's a rookie. So your question marks, like, I don't know where they go with that. And I think that man, like they're just lost right now. And when you watch like McDavid doesn't kill penalties. Yeah. I don't think he back checks hard. I don't think he plays. Like, maybe, maybe Torts was right. Okay. I, and I'm maybe John Tortorella was right about this, that McDavid does need to change the way he plays. And that's not offensively. He doesn't need yeah. to change how he plays offensively. Yeah but he's got to lead the charge and get the puck back on the Oilers stick. And it has to filter through the locker room. Yeah. I'm not in that room. I can't say what it's like. I don't know. Yeah. But it sure looks like right now, this team is rudderless and you look to leadership and where is it? That's, you know, I, it's a, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard thing. And that, you know, the marketplace is so passionate and they're Mm -hmm. so, you know, they're, they're hockey, the pat, you know, the fan base IQ pretty high there. Yes. And I'll tell you, you know, like every day it's, you know, why is Dave Tippett still coaching? And listen, I've known Dave a long time. I, I think he's a good coach. I don't know what's going on there. If a team can't play defense with Dave Tippett coaching. Yeah. It's not the coaching staff. Yeah. Okay. I, I played for Dave Tippett in Arizona when we were terrible defensively. And we were trotting out a lineup that was at the bottom of the salary cap. And that's why we couldn't play defense. Yeah. No slag on the teammates. I didn't help at all whatsoever, but we were not skilled enough to compete. Yeah. Edmonton is skilled enough to compete. Yeah. They just don't want to right now. And I don't know how you fix that. Yeah. Well, and then, so like, and I, I just think that, I mean, this is to me, the fascinating, you know, you sort of take the macro view of this. So your team, like we saw what Vancouver did, right. But Vancouver, you know, different, different lineup, different dynamic, but man, they, I mean, they cleared the decks, right? Fire your GM in the middle of the season, fire your coach, right? Like you. And, and there has to be, you know, if you're an Oiler fan, you're like, the, the Vancouver's what, 8 one now under Bruce Woodrow or 7 one Give They've had every, you know, they've taken every point, but one, that's possible since, since that's happened. And now they're back and, you know, still a road to climb, but they're st- they're in the playoff hunt. And mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, what if they take that spot from Edmonton? Can you imagine? But, oh. but the, so how do you like, to me, these are the critical moments for ownership in Edmonton, for upper management mm-hmm. in Edmonton, for Kenny Holland. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the faith in the goaltenders being, 
non-existent and, and that's the reality and it does impact how you play. So, can, you know, how do you, can you make that kind of move? The easy thing is to fire your coach, but that, so what yeah. I always say this, you want to do that. Okay. You want to fire Dave Tippett. That's fine. Who's what's the answer. Is it Mike Babcock? I mean, Kenny Holland has that relationship. Won a cup, a lot of baggage for Mike Babcock. Is he the answer? Is it, you know, from within the organization, is it Glenn Gullitson? Like you, you can't like Bruce Boudreaux. It makes sense. Yeah. You know? I don't know. What do you, what do you, cause this is critical now, or do you do anything like that's the, that's the fascinating part for me. Yeah. It's not going to come from within. I, I played for Glenn Gullitson. I think he was the best coach I ever played for. He was at the Las Vegas Wranglers of the ECHL. Yeah. It's a different dynamic. Yeah. And, I don't think that in the NHL stage, I mean, Gully's had a couple of cracks, Dallas, uh, Calgary, and they've gone okay. I don't think he has the fear factor that maybe is necessary um, at that level. Yeah. And my gosh, I can't believe it. But when somebody mentioned Babcock the other day, I just went, oh man, this actually kind of would make sense here. (laughs) I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't want it to make sense. Like from the way the players were treated to the, some of the podcasts and interviews I've heard afterwards, how flippant he's been to media members and other folks and defiant about what he's done. I, I don't want him to coach again, but I tell you what, they need somebody to come in and crack a whip. And it's like, it might work with these guys. And he has a track record of working well with top end players. I don't know if it's the right answer. I mean, to me, I think you need to shake the room up and put somebody on waivers. that doesn't expect it. Yeah. Like, Dallas did that with Blake Como. I know it was a bit of a salary cap play too, but like you want to shake up a locker room, flush away somebody that matters. Yeah. Well, right? James, yeah. I don't think James Neal probably factors into that as you know, in that sense, but I, I'm, and what about John Tortorella? Like, I don't like I'm with you. I, and I guess to me, the disappointing part of this, and again, I, I I've been, a, I've known Dave Tippett a long time He's a good coach, right? Yeah, maybe this, maybe just this is time. I don't know, but maybe it's toward, but what, where has the leadership been? And not just this season, you know, when they were down three, nothing to Winnipeg in the first round, you know, where's, where is the leadership that pulls you up off the mat? Where mm-hmm. is the leadership that, you know, when they lost to Chicago in the play-in round, you know, a, a, an absolute mismatch, a, a Chicago team that would have been, had no business being in the playoffs had, were not for the expanded COVID playoffs. Where's the leadership been in those moments to drive this team forward? And, you know, it took a long time, sure, but we've seen what Alex Ovechkin has done in a critical moment. Ryan O'Reilly in St. Louis. We've seen Bergeron in Boston. We have Steven seen Stamkos in Steven Stamkos one shift. Yes, uh, totally. Yes. And Jamie Ben wills his team to the Stanley cup finals in Dallas. Yes. Where has that leadership yeah. been in Edmonton? And I got to tell you, it has been nowhere. And you can blame the construct of the team and you can blame the coaching decisions. Those are factors, but I got to tell you two of the best players in the world and they have accomplished very, very little 
in critical moments. And that's, to me, that's just the reality of that. It is. And I always say this, unless you're in the room, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who should be the captain. So I'm not going to throw this at the feet of McDavid and just say McDavid. Yeah. But everything that you've just mentioned screams lack of leadership in the room. Yeah. Now, is that on one player? Of course not. No. But, but one player can set the tone. And somebody's got to set the tone. And I get it. Like, you get a generational player, you slap the C on them. You get somebody with a big contract, you slap the C on them. It's just what teams do. Yeah. But there's been plenty of teams in history that have had a captain that really wasn't as much of a captain as you think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, it can be an honorary title. And you can have two leaders. I mean, talk to anybody associated with the Blues. Petrangelo was the captain of that team, but Ryan O'Reilly, yeah. I mean – that take your pick who your leader was, right? right? Like that's critical. And I haven't seen it. And I think a lot of this, Scott, I think it's just the culture of that team. They have not drafted well. I mean, they haven't developed from within well. They, yeah. they don't have hardly anything of an analytics department to uncover hidden gems of players like yeah. some teams do. Sure. Like I don't see Edmonton making a move for Chandler Stevenson to get him from the Capitals as a fifth rounder. That does hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, it's not a progressive organization. Yeah. Look at the last, every, all the hires, it has not been progressive. So yeah. Yeah. I think they got to get with the times and modernize. And I don't know if that's going to happen this year. That's an off season task. Uh, I want to, before we move on, I just want to, again, sort of the macro thing, because I, I always, you know, I'm so curious given your experience and in, in, in your, you know, you've been in dressing rooms. I have a lot. Not. <laughs> but, and it's easy. Here's what the thing that I, you know, we, I'm trying to think if I've written it, I don't know, maybe I did maybe more than once, but this notion that somehow a coach loses a room and I'm like, okay, so what did it, is it under some papers in his office? Like where, you know, but I, I'm curious about your experience. And, you know, I think that that's what was said of Travis Green in that Vancouver locker room. And, mm-hmm. you know, is, is it true in Edmonton with Dave Tippett? And, we, and it happens. It's not a new phenomena. But, like, did you play on teams where, where when the coach came in or when the coaching staff was putting together a game plan? I don't, I don't care if you want to name people. That's why I'm, I'm not looking you to throw people <laughs> under the bus per se, but I want, I'm curious that dynamic does, is it real? Is it, is it real, a real thing where guys are sitting in a room and when the coaches leave, they're like, we, we have no chance of winning given this plan or there's no respect or there, there is this complete disconnect. Like, is that a, what's, that must be a horrible thing if it happens. Yeah. Cause the coach comes in and everybody listens to the spiel and then they roll their eyes. Yeah. And that's not a good place to be. I mean, part of the, and you almost wish that coaches would be more receptive to a lot of times this happens when coaches are not good communicators with their players and they don't have to be okay. You don't have to be a great communicator with your players, but you need a pulse of it. And you got to understand if your players are believing or not, you know, I mean, remember when the Uber video came out with the Ottawa senators and one of the lines was Matt Duchesne saying, I haven't listened in a month or whatever on the power power play. I think it was. Yes. Yep. And that's, that that's that happens like that's it really sucked that that got caught on tape and put out there but like yeah players talk like that that's real yeah but that's not normal 
Okay. That it doesn't get to that point very often. Right. You know, and that's when you really have a problem is that they're just straight up not listening at all. And the coach comes in and he's got to draw something on the board. And then everybody just goes, all right, dude, <laughs> like <laughs> you got it, man. Like it's pretty rare. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I did, you know, I know enough people around Vancouver that, yeah, it's just for whatever reason, they quit listening. Yeah. And once they quit listening, you don't get them back. But how many head coaches does Ottawa need or does Edmonton need right now? Like how many have they had in the past since McDavid's been there? Yeah. You know, well, it's just, yeah, you're looking for answers. And I think it's just been lineup more than anything. They've had some pretty good coaches there and, yeah. you know, they can't make anything go of it. So I, it's frustrating to see Scott, because I root for these markets. I root for these Canadian markets, man. I, I, their fans, everybody else, like the fans are brutal, but they're also, it's because they're so passionate. Yeah. I just want to see a good product on the ice. It, it, it's, it's not a, uh, like, I, I, I must admit, you know, back in sort of my younger days, I, I, you know, for some reason took a perverse pleasure if some of the, you know, if a big market team didn't have success. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to a veteran reporter and we, you know, this came up in conversation and he's like, what? And we were talking about the New York Rangers. I'm like, yeah, it looks good on them. It was before the cap and, you know, they spent a gazillion dollars. And I said, that yeah, looks good on them. He said, hang on a sec. He said, uh, you're a hockey writer, right? You, you, you know, you make your living covering hockey in the NHL. I said, he said, why is it good if one of the biggest markets in hockey doesn't make the playoffs? That's not a good thing, right? I mean, you know, he wasn't arguing that they should be in. He was just saying, you're misguided if you take pleasure in that because the game is poor if a, if a big market like that mm-hmm. isn't in. Same thing. Like I always, you know, in Toronto, people take great glee when the Leafs suck or when they fail. It's, it's good for hockey when Toronto is relevant. And I think it's good for hockey when a team like Edmonton and specifically when you have players like McDavid and Drazak, it's better for the game if they're in it. Because who doesn't want to see the best players playing? Like how many times have we seen Ovi and uh, Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby in the playoffs? I, I'm on it. That's appointment television. And when, yeah. if, if Edmonton falls out of it and they don't make the playoffs and who knows what happens, you know, that, I think that's something to lament, not something to celebrate, but that's just me. No, I, I totally agree with you. Um, but I think there's an added layer to this now that like these Canadian markets need to succeed. Yeah, because man, they're in one right now when it comes to capacity and not, I mean, Quebec, Montreal, the players in Montreal can't even get into their practice facility. Yeah. Locked out. Like Ontario's going into lockdown. We're going 50% in other Canadian buildings. Like I'm worried about these Canadian markets moving forward, legitimately worried about them because I'm not sure. I'm not going to go on a big COVID diatribe here, but I'm just not sure in this climate, in today's culture, in today's worry factor, like there's a stark difference between Canada and the United States and it's real. And the players talk about it all the time Yeah, that they're miserable. The, the, those, that team in Montreal is miserable. Yeah. Okay. Team sucks. They, their wives, their families, they can't go anywhere. They're locked down. It's not even, they can't even go to the beach. Like if you're in Florida, you know, like, there's not much incentive for these for players to want to go to these Canadian teams unless they are good. They need to be good. Yeah. Because this free agency this summer, Scott, 
Do you see many players looking at these Canadian teams, knowing all the restrictions, all the uncertainty, maybe going on 60 day road trips in the U S maybe who knows, they might even move them to the U S right. Like, can you see any player objectively looking at that contract from a Canadian team when they have something that's even like marginally equivalent with the United States team? Can yeah. you see them taking the Canadian club? No. Well, I think you raise a good point. And it's not, a, it, you know, listen, people will, it, this isn't an anti Canada thing, but it's, it's a real thing. And it's, it's reality. Yeah, it's the reality. And it's been going on for years when you look at the taxation rates. I mean, how many, you know, I, I think back maybe five or 10 years, it, we probably didn't think of it in the same terms. But when we talk about free agent, I think of Steven Stamkos when he uh, hit briefly hit the market mm-hmm. and you looked at where he could go and where, you know, what the value and with the salary cap, if you go to a place without state tax, like Texas or Nevada or Florida, that, that's Washington state. Now Washington state. Now those are real factors. And then you throw in, I mean, listen, playing, I mean, you spent some time briefly in, in a couple of Canadian markets mm-hmm. and you certainly have been in Canadian markets enough to understand that it is really different there. When we talk about Edmonton and the fan base there, like it, it's, you know, Vancouver is its own crazy fan base too. It's a different thing. You throw in the taxation. And then as I think it's such a great point, the reality over the last couple of years for players on Canadian teams is vastly different than what it's been in the United States. And Mm -hmm. I think you are absolutely right. The, the free agent market. Now let me, let me turn it back to you and I'll ask you, but Toronto goes to a Stanley cup final, maybe they win a cup. Oh my God. First time since 67. That changes it. Right. And if Edmonton or your team, Winnipeg could happen, you go on a long run, maybe you win a cup. That does change that for a player though. Right. When you're factoring in, where should I, where should I go? Where should I make my life? Absolutely true. And that's why I'm saying these teams need to be good. Yeah. I mean, if the Oilers go on a run, they start to get better. And then they go on a, you know, even if they make it to the second round of playoffs, it keeps the hope alive that, hey, this is a contender. I could win a Stanley Cup. I'll take whatever else comes with it. Yeah. In terms of live. I mean, like a lot of these players aren't really having much fun this year anyway, but the ones in Canada are having less fun. Yeah. We can objectively say that away from the rink, especially. But it's real. If a team wins a cup, it's real. Because if you don't have that, all you get are desperate players. You get players who don't have a contract anywhere else. And, and we've always seen the media spin on this. Like, oh, he's so excited. He's so happy to be here. He's, he wanted, really wanted to come here. You know you know why he wanted to come to your team? Because he didn't have any other options. And uh, that contract looked pretty nice. I've, yeah. seen, I've seen that so many times. Yeah. I'm so um, excited to be in a Canadian market. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't go anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. I, but, man, I love Canada. Like I, I, I tell you, if it wasn't so cold, man, I'd, I'd love to move to Canada. Like me too, you know, (laughs) exactly. Right. But that's just the reality of this situation right now. I don't know when Canada's getting out of this, if ever, if ever, it's just a completely different level of risk tolerance between the U S and Canada and way of life. It's just, it's cultural. And so I just, I think it's going to be tough for Canadian teams. I really do. And it makes me sad yep. because I love that interplay. I, I, I'd love it if Winnipeg won a Stanley Cup. I'd love it if, honestly, I'd love it if Toronto did just because it's been so long. I'd love to see that city go crazy. I, I just, those well, moments, I, those heartstring moments, Scott. 
Was it? I mean, I you know I get North Division. I get all the stuff. How much fun was it to have the Habs and Stanley Cup final? And like I'm, you know, I'm. I remember '93 as as mm-hmm. as a fan. I remember that like it was magic, and I remember yes. it like yesterday. And yes, I, I'm with you. I listen. I, this again, we're, we're not throwing Canadian teams under the bus because it's fun to do. It's the reality of it, and and the game is going to be better overall if if canadian teams are better but it, mm-hmm. you're right it i i think you have hit the nail right on that it's very it's a very tough time but you know what you, you talk about fun you know what is fun my friend is when someone shows up at your door with food that you have ordered and you don't have to do anything except open it and eat it and that is the great thing about doordash DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. There you go. What now? What now, my friend? We're getting towards <laughs> the end. I, I always, well, I'm, I'm so excited when we get together and we chat. I, oh. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 